weeknights from 6 on 2FM. Thanks to the new Johnnies, it's Monday the 27th of February and this is Game On. Coming up today, Stephen Kelly and Paul Corey on more woes for Chelsea and some long-awaited silverware for Manchester United. Uh, I just lo- love United. Uh, when I see, uh, see already our shirts, when I see the boundary with the fans and when I see Old Trafford, when I see legacy um, like Sir Alex uh, left and so many plays, big plays, uh, were developed in the United teams and who makes a big impression and we want to do the same. I hope you can do more. In rugby, Stephen Ferris on Leo Collins' now new Leinster contract and of course Ireland's Grand Slam prospects. So that is the end of the action here at the Stadio Olimpico. A strange enough old game, uh, but it's Ireland another bonus point win. Look, and that's, that's going to be the positive take on a pretty sloppy performance. It's a case of, I suppose, it's job done. We've gotten the bonus point, but there's a lot more kind of questions as to, as to who's going to go where and who's going to fill in what. In Gaelic Games, we have Peter Canavan and Noel Moran on the Allianz League action. Plus, we'll discuss the rest of our weekend sporting highlights. If you want to get in touch, you can text us on 51552 or tweet at Game on 2FM. Game on on 2FM. Welcome along. Paul Corey is with me in studio. Ruby is across from me on the on the FaceTime. Ruby, you're looking very content. Any reason in particular? Mm, no. No reason, Victor. It was a good weekend, Marie, wasn't it? I was actually thinking about this earlier. I was reading the the running order and I was thinking GA, hurling, rugby, soccer and the rest of the weekend highlights. And I was thinking, what are the rest of the weekend highlights? I do have one. Do you? I do. My sporting highlight is actually an athletics one. So this weekend, um, Rashida Adeleke and Andrew Coscoran both set national records. So Adeleke broke her own Irish record for the women's 400 metres. She won the Big 12 Conference Final in Texas in a time of 50.33 seconds. And afterwards, she tweeted that if you told me after four months of training for the 400 metres, I'd be running 50.3 indoors, I would have laughed. I'm so grateful, but I'm not done yet. That was a highlight for me because it just shows that she's really only just getting started at the 400 metres. Like how much lower can she go? Um, who knows? But if she can keep putting in and not even another four months of training, um, it'll be really interesting to see how she gets on. And then just on Coscoran. So Coscoran broke a 41-year-old 1,500-metre Irish record. Um, he took third in the world indoors in Birmingham, 3.33.49. And then as well as him, his uh, teammate Luke McCann broke the record as well, finishing fourth in a PB of 3.34.76. So that was Marcus O'Sullivan's indoor record, 336.64, and that was set in 1989. So there you go. There's a, a highlight field. 1989, Marcus O'Sullivan, Eamon Coughlin, 1,500m. Are the glory days back for 1,500m indoor runners in Ireland? It'd be good if they were. Love a bit of oh, that would be incredible, wouldn't it? Yeah. What was your sporting highlight? Actually, before I get to that, I was uh, I was slagging you on the two Johnnies there. We're talking about 10 Surprise, hats. surprise. When I'm not around, so that's easy. it. Slag me behind my back. Oh, yeah. Well, to your face, really, now, because I'm telling you, I'm slagging you. So, uh, I don't know if you saw Ten Hag dancing after they won the Carabao Cup. Shocking, wasn't it? It was pretty shocking. And I said, I wonder, did Ruby ever dance after he won anything? No, but mind you, I was watching Dancing with the Stars last night, and probably be an upgrade of most of that, wouldn't it? <laughs> I didn't watch it. And I'm, I'm not even going to go there. I'm sure they're all brilliant dancers. Uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't put you down now for a dancer after you won. Especially no. if it's a Carabao Cup level. Can't dance. I can't sing. Well, Ten Hag can't really dance either now, to be fair. What's the other one? I can't dance, I can't sing. That's a famous saying. Go on, Paul Curry. No, I haven't a clue. I can't imagine <laughs> jumping off the horse and doing a dance or something. Many jockeys do. No, Is it's it? not. Do they? No. It's not a thing. I'm glad it's not a thing. No. Showboating's not really a thing. Frankie jumps off. Yeah. Might stand up and punch the air, but that's about the size of it. Mm. Paul, sporting highlight? I think it's it kind of pains me to say it, but it has to be Ten Hag for me. Um, ah, Paul. Yeah. How does it pain you, Paul? You should he's be Chelsea yeah. fan, and he's got yeah. Graham Potter. Yeah, I just when you when you think back to the results, like the Brentford result at the beginning of the season, they got peppered. The defeat against Brighton at home, and the journey that he's been on to just tidy them up on and off the pitch, and to to deliver success in the first season, I think it's a tremendous job he's done. Ruby, I agree with you, Paul. I completely agree with you. Is that your highlight? Did you see that? It, did you, I did, it was my highlight. Mind you, I suppose. I thought Crystal Palace were good at the weekend as well. They were solid. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. <laughs> I had another one as well, which was Haaland. Like, Haaland has scored 27 Premier League goals already this season. 
it's a new Man City record like that. It's just incredible. And certain people were saying that you know maybe they should drop him from the side, and maybe he's not too impactful when he's not scoring. A lot goals. of people are saying twenty-seven certain, goals. I put my hand up here. As certain people, I was probably suggesting that last weekend, the last week. So I'm not going to deny it this week. No, he's eight. He's he's more goals than eight of the teams in the Premier League at the moment. Yeah, well, that's not just a great ridiculous. Stat, yeah, to be that's yeah, incredible, isn't it? Okay. They were good yesterday. Any other highlights? Singing a bit more now about Manchester United, but maybe you're just saving it for when we get into. No, the I'm just being. You know, I'm just being a, a great, a gracious, gracious winner, Marie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's really like yeah. it. Uh, Stephen Kelly is with us on the line as well. Stephen, any weekend sporting highlights? Spurs Chelsea for Paul. <laughs> <laughs> He's all the knives around today. Listen, it doesn't. It doesn't happen that often. It's not that often Spurs get. I've, played for Spurs and Fulham for almost good to a decade I don't think I ever beat Chelsea so it's honest to see to see Spurs get a win over them was uh, yeah, very very nice and I think Paul's forgetting that I think Haaland has more goals than Chelsea as well <laughs> <laughs> I, think they, I think they're one of the teams that are in it when, when I saw Stephen Kelly was on the show tonight I really had to consider where I was coming on the nice might be out Marie but they're good and sharp as well they are, they yeah. are. you were at it Stephen weren't you? yeah I was there I was there at the game yeah it was um, Chelsea you know what they, it just looks they look devoid of any sort of sense of cohesion um, there's so many individuals like like you're talking players they spent 100 millions on and they looked like they were all over the place Havertz didn't know what position he was playing he couldn't play the central role right they put bring on Mudrick for the last 9-10 minutes of the game and he looked like he was got a bit about him it was all over place, but that just fed into the hands for Spurs, who on you know on paper you're looking at the midfield they had with Heiberg and Skip, they should have been dominated, but they didn't. They completely ran the show in there, even though they were overloaded. And yeah, it was a really really big win for Spurs. So you were there, so you got to see the players up close and personal. Like, what's mm. the body language like? What's the interactions like with Graham Potter? How much control does he seem to have? Like, do the players interact with him much? Like, break it down for us. Yeah, he's not. He's not. He is vocal on the sideline. They can see him trying to get his point across. But like, I think you can see that some of the players are a little bit dejected with what's what's happening. And I think when you bring on the likes of Mudrick and like Felix, yeah, Felix was probably the best player on the on the pitch. He was the one that was most likely to cause something to happen. And they take him off, and you can see the rest of the players just thinking, mm. "Why has he done that?" Like, I don't. It, and I think when that starts creeping in, when the players are questioning the decision the manager's making, then I think you're done for. Um, I listen, under any other regime in Chelsea, Potter wouldn't be there. And listen, you want to give managers long. You want to give them a sense of time and embed themselves in the club and get their style. And, you know, it's going to be hard. He's got a melting pot of players that he has to try and fit together with egos that he wouldn't have dealt with before. But I think when you have such strong characters and players that they spend literally hundreds of millions on and they're probably questioning the decisions he's making, I think that's a slippy slope. So Paul, it sounds like Graham Potter is talking to the hands but the faces aren't listening so how long has he got left in Chelsea? I think the two next two fixtures Ruby uh, Leeds at home which is a, is a must win game considering where Leeds are in the table and, and Chelsea's current form and then also the second leg of the Champions League against Borussia Dortmund I think if, if both of those results were to go against them I, I really struggle to see how he would stay in that position like I, I would agree with Steve and I, I obviously wasn't at the game but I think just looking at the players the body language looks really mm. poor and it almost looks as if they've nearly stopped running from um, which is is sad to see and it, it certainly leads to managers mm. normally being sacked but I, I thought they turned a corner after the first leg mm. against Dortmund I thought they played really well I couldn't believe how they didn't yeah. get anything out of the game and you think okay perform like that and you'll get wins doesn't help himself against Southampton making so many changes and fielding the team he did and then again yesterday when they played Spurs the performance was absolutely dreadful I thought in the first half they were so bad they were so far off awful there's absolutely nothing in the top end of the pitch they pass they go side to side they go back and there's nothing at the end of it and the body language the fans turning on some really you know Disgusting things happening with Graham Potter and Chelsea fans at the moment. Yeah, yeah when that's when true, it is like when the fans turn and the players stop running. I mean, it's only one person who loses their job there. Yeah, and Stephen, could you sense that? I know it was an away game for them, but they're obviously a, a travelling support there. Could you sense that they were they were really against him? He has spoken about the the death threats that he's been getting and his family have mm. been getting, and it's been uh, pretty grim for him. Um, but what was the atmosphere like, and, and how were they towards him? Yeah, no, you can like when he made the substitutes, the, the, the rumblings got around of just like they were like, "What is he doing?" That was the shouts that were coming out. You could the sense that they did they didn't really feel he had grips of what the team was. And 
I don't put that all on him because I don't even know whether every single signing here is his signing. Like it's yeah. almost like Bowley's gone in and just thought, right, I've got to keep your money and I want to spend the most amount of money on on the most expensive players, and he's done that. But are those players all going to fit into the system Chelsea needed? They didn't. They needed a central striker that they can play off. They've got all these unbelievable talented players, but it was like from a tactical point of view, Havertz. He didn't stretch Tottenham at all, and that's what you need to do to create space in behind the midfield and, the, and in between the defence for those players that operate in those positions like Felix and Mudrick and Ziyech. But they just condensed everything, and Potter didn't seem to change. Like he wasn't getting a message across to Havertz saying, run away, do something. It was just, yeah, it looks like someone, I think he's almost, he looks like a person waiting for, for the chop. That, that's what it seems like. Well, it looks like it's going to come, but one person who won't be getting the chop now, Arsenal, are a couple of points in front, is Mikel Arteta. 1-0 winners away to Leicester, Paul Curry, and they've refound their mojo. They have, and it was really important that they bounce back after that Mad City defeat and show a bit of steel and show a bit of backbone because a number of questions were probably aimed at Arsenal at the tail end of last season with how they gave away that top four, but they certainly look as if they have a, a bit more about them this season. I thought the front three worked really well with, with Trossard, Martinelli and Saka and just Trossard leading the line and linking the play he had a goal disallowed which was a superb strike and they did enough they weren't at their, their fluid best Ruby but they did enough and you're probably at a time of the season now where performances aren't the most important thing you just want to mm-hmm. graft out results and they've done that they did that against Villa and they did it against um, Leicester so really impressive stuff for Arsenal but Le- or Leicester without James Madison are just mm-hmm. you know really lacking something going forward they've 1.3 points a game with him and 0.5 without him and they offered absolutely nothing their XG mm. which I don't really buy into was something like yeah. 0.02 on the weekend didn't register yeah. a shot on target but Arsenal managed it well and um, yeah certainly got themselves back on track they're edging their way um, towards that title but they do have Manchester City mm. breathing down their next even and they look as well mm-hmm. to, to their best uh, racking up four goals against Bournemouth but they look like they're more together and more fluid again and kind of that Manchester City team that we are used to seeing yeah and against Forest it wasn't true lack of creating chances that they didn't win that game you know, they, they created enough to go comfortably in that game and today it was like right, we're, we're going to create the chance we're actually going to put them away and you know to, to have the players they have at their disposal the Foden's in Grealish is in fantastic form as well um, and we, I, might keep, I think I keep saying on this on the show that you know you expect them almost just to win every game now but they, 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 for whatever reason they've, they've slipped up and now after they beat Arsenal I thought that's it they're not, they're not going to drop any points especially against the teams that they should beat See, that's what CE do best they go and beat the teams they should beat um, and they drop those points against Forest and give Arsenal that bit of breathing space again it's when the game comes around again now can they beat them and capitalise on them and make those nerves kick into Arsenal and see what happens to make it a real title race but you know when they're on that form the, the thing is about City, the scary thing about City is City can do that to Bournemouth, who are probably the worst team in the league, but they could go and do that against Spurs, against Chelsea, against Liverpool. They could probably do that performance and score those goals because that's how good they are on their day. It's just it's not being as often as we, we like to say. They most certainly could, but having said that, doing it against Liverpool, Palace almost did it against <laughs> Liverpool, Paul Curry, I mean... There's no talking points here. This is the worst game of this, football ever. It was shocking, wasn't it, Paul? Yeah, it was really poor. And, and Liverpool are, are continuing to struggle. They had a couple of chances and, and Salah hit the bar, kind of rings to mind. And on another day, they, they might have got out of there and just nicked it. But defensively, like they look so weak. Um, I know we keep talking about it, but the intensity that's gone from their play, like it looks as if the energy has just been sucked out of the side completely. And then you throw in the mistakes from the likes of Trent they don't stop crosses they seem to just cough up so many chances that they didn't do last season and I know people were were very optimistic when they put the back-to-back wins together against Newcastle and against Everton but I'm just not having it and the result mm. against Real Madrid showed some of their um, frailties and I think you're consistently seeing them and they were certainly on show against Crystal Palace so it's going to be really difficult like they, they could put a bit of a run together for that top four position but at, at the moment um, it, it's hard to see how they would they would catch a Newcastle or a Spurs Stephen just from a player's perspective when you do suffer a defeat like they did against Real Madrid I guess the expectation was that they'd just be able to bounce back and they, they couldn't how difficult mm-hmm. is it to do that? I think it's becoming harder for Liverpool to, ha- to be able to bounce back from results like that just because 
physically and mentally, I don't think they're in the same position they were before. You know, last season they were pushing for every, literally every trophy that was available they were going for, which was an extraordinary feat. But I think that was almost, I don't want to say the last hurrah for that side, but it felt like that. I felt like that was squeezing every ounce of of life from that that squad of players um, to to get to that. And I think now it's just, it's, it's a fall away and, they just don't have the energy. In like when you look at their middle of the park and you look at Henderson and Milner, you just think that's nowhere near good enough to compete with the teams that are up there. It, they they just can't sustain that level, and especially for the way Liverpool play. Like for Real Madrid, for the first twenty minutes, that was the Liverpool of all. That was that Liverpool that we all love to watch. The high energy, diagonal balls, pacing behind, running at teams, and then as soon as they conceded and they went, they just folded and. I just think they're a team that are just they're lacking lacking in, in so much in the middle of the park and then that just then highlights the defensive frailties that they have whereas before they would be covered over by that solidity in the middle of the park and speaking of solidity in the middle of the park Casemiro most certainly seems to be that for Manchester United Paul Curry and <laughs> yesterday they're the one team I think that could still win another three trophies this year when you're still in you have the chance and they're, and they're still in <laughs> well, <laughs> would you dance today if they won another three trophies I'd probably fall over in shock Marie but anyway <laughs> I just read that one and thought here I'll well, chuck it in there see how it goes <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean to start with Casemiro a lot of people were questioning that signing and, and maybe wondering whether or not he was coming for a, a big last paycheck but he's been absolutely superb when, since he's been at Manchester United you can certainly notice the drop off when he's not there but I just thought Yesse himself for Ran, there was almost that steel and that experience mm. of winning competitions really shone through and you could see how pumped up Casemiro was with, with little incidents of, of even just a, an altercation with Almiron and it was no surprise that he, he came up with, with the goal that kind of broke the deadlock but United weren't great yesterday and, and maybe they didn't need to be at their best but you saw kind of just that experience of getting through the big occasion and I feel for with Newcastle in the last couple of weeks they've probably mm. dropped off at the wrong time and they've been relying on the same sort of 12-13 players but for, for United and for the Carabao Cup it has been a platform for teams to go on and do better things and if United could add a couple of more players to that squad it's could happen this season Ruby um, I think they'll fall a little short but they're certainly heading in that right direction they will but Stephen it's amazing how a game can turn on a moment and if De Gea doesn't save from San Maximan early in the game yeah. it could have been a completely different contest yeah, it is, but and that that that's the difference, isn't it? Having someone like De Gea who's back up to the form he's in, like he, he's pulled off some exceptional saves in the last few games, and I think when you have a team that's as confident as they currently are and working hard for each other, you know, when you get past that defensive line, it's been very solid for the most part. Then to have a keeper behind you that's feeding off that confidence as well, that that makes big saves at big moments. Um, it's huge, absolutely changing. But the, how, like, Sam Maximus feel like I went for that when he when he dug me the most. Thinking oh, I was, <laughs> it was ridiculous. I guess it's your OA, and then you're just going, oh my god. And then they go up the end. But you know, Casemiro, I think just, he's just galvanising. Even we you know what was amazing with Casemiro was after the game, did you see him having a goal for Fernandez for not passing I the did, ball to Sancho. Yeah. <laughs> that was how like that he was right though. Yeah, he was. He was totally right. He was totally right. But he's just won a medal and he's overgiven. Like that. That's just yeah. that's a, that's a, that's the difference in it. That's that's what put that's the difference between winners and losers. That's the difference with that that puts him winning five Champions League. It, that mentality that it's never right if he, if it's not done the right way. And yeah, it's it's a special thing to have him in your squad. I think that's what I was lacking. Um, Stephen Kelly thank you so much for joining us for that uh, football chat from the weekend we do have to get through the League of Ireland though so Paul Corrie is going to stay with us and Paul the big surprise at the weekend was that Shamrock Rovers didn't beat Drada Drada are proving a bit of a bogey team for Shamrock Rovers Mm. and and Stephen Bradley Um, they've, they've really struggled to pick up results against them and this was no different I mean, the, the game has, has changed on the two sending offs. I, I thought it was, they were quite naive tackles from very experienced players. Lee Grace, two yellow cards, and Dan Cleary, two yellow cards. And the, and the second tackles on both occasions were just very, very rash. And that left them very bare. It left them short across the park. And Drogheda really took advantage of it. And, and they were fully deserving of, of the equaliser and actually could have nicked it in the last couple of minutes. But it's been a bit of a stop start. Mm-hmm. Um, beginning to the season for Stephen Bradley I've no doubt Marie that they'll start to, to find their rhythm and, and their game will, will pick up a notch or two but it certainly does leave them short come the fixture against Derry on Friday because yeah. we would have three centre-halves now 
So one team in Loud were scuppering one Dublin team. Bowes managed to beat Dundalk and are sitting on top. Bowes were superb, Ruby. I watched this one. Um, the job Declan Devine has done with the squad, just how they're set up, they're really aggressive without the ball. They play with a tempo and a bite that they have done in previous years, but they lost last year. And in general play, they dominated the game against Dundalk. There was a superb free kick, for anyone who hasn't seen it, Jordan Flores into the top corner. And the second goal was really well worked as well. And I'm sure Bose fans were, were extremely disappointed with, with how last season went, with the personnel they lost, but also with the performances. But with the acquisitions they've made on the pitch, the people they've added off the pitch, I, I think Bowes are back on track and I, I would fancy them to be nicking one of the top three spots on the basis of what we've seen in the first two weeks. Yeah, well, it's uh, it's not what people expected heading into the season, but look, there we go. Uh, Derry City getting that win over Cork City now and heading to Tala on Friday night, so they'll be full of confidence, no doubt. Yeah, absolutely. Um, listen, Cork are probably going to need a couple of weeks. They have a, a really young squad that have come up. For many of them, it'll be their first time playing in, in the top tier in Irish football, and you would expect that results like that will probably go against their way. Derry up and running already. Decent results against Pats. I'm sure Rory was, was disappointed in the first week to concede so late, but to get the first win, particularly at home, will, will give them good confidence. Patrick McElhenney on the score sheet. If you can get himself, the likes of Michael Duffy, them firing early on in the season, that would be a massive benefit to them. And it's going to be a very interesting game come Friday. I can't wait to see this one because this is these are the two teams that everybody is tipping to be nip and tuck at the top of the division. Derry are coming and they certainly smell in a bit of blood with Shamrock Rovers who will be weakened like we mentioned yeah no it should be a cracker and big win for St. Patrick's Athletic over Shells as well and the Sligo Rovers had a 3-2 victory over UCD uh, Paul Curry, thank you so much for joining us we're going to take a quick break but stay with us we have rugby to come with Stephen Ferris Game On on 2FM Welcome back. A little bit of rugby news from earlier today. Leinster head coach Leo Cullen agreed a new two-year contract extension with the province. Cullen, who won 221 caps for Leinster as a player, has been in the role since August 2015. A little bit earlier, he spoke to our own Michael Corcoran. Is that something that you thought, I'd almost said long and hard about, but what was the kind of thought process? Because initially, I think it was a year last year, and um, you decided you want to stay for longer. Um, yeah, I think it's maybe it's just the way it is at the moment. You know, terms there has been a bit of change around the place. I think is it's important to acknowledge that. You know, from a CEO point of view, with Mick being here for uh, quite a while, with Shane coming in to Shane Nolan to replace Mick. You know, I think there was, you know, soul searching is maybe not the right phrase, but like there's, you know, like there's a bit of reflection time mm. as to you know, what's best for the group. And I'm always, like, probably thinking like that. So, and what the new relationship is going to look and feel like. So, you know, Shane's come in, um, you know, he's added in a number of areas. You know, so I've been back and forth with him quite a bit just around, you know, the stability and what does that look like. And, like, I'm pretty open-minded, to tell you the truth, about what's best. And, you know, the club are keen here for me to commit for two years, which, you know, I'm honoured to accept. And, um, you know, the union have been very, very helpful in terms of David Newsford on his side as well. So, yeah. Leo Cullen there speaking to Michael Corcoran about his new contract. Stephen Ferris joins us on the line. Stephen, just a word there on Leo Cullen and he usually does kind of go for the one-year contracts. He's got two now but he just seems so casual when he's talking about it. I mean, it's it's almost refreshing. He's so relaxed and, you know, it's he'll do whatever kind of thing, whatever's best for the club. Most people are kind of chomping at the bit usually to get contracts in professional rugby. Yeah, it's uh, it certainly is refreshing. Um, he was even very laid back when I roomed with him. He just slept for half the time when we were, we were ever sharing a room together in Irish camp. But he's uh, yeah, he's just a, that type of character. Even like before Heineken Cup finals or URC finals, you know, it's the same tone of voice. It's the same um, same le- tone level. And you know, he, he said there he's honoured to accept the you know the the job to continue on for another couple of years. So like. <laughs> he's unbeaten this season. Like Lancer are unbeaten across all competitions this season. He's doing a really good job. You know, he's, there has been a bit of change. You know, Lancaster's leaving. Shawnee O'Brien's come in. CEO change. Um, and maybe there was a you know a period of the last four or five months that he has reflected a little bit and has thought in the back of his head that he can go on and achieve um, you know greater things with this Lancer side and hopefully capture some more silverware. It was a fairly obvious reappointment to me anyway, Stephen. But anyway, moving on. Six Nations, three weekends down, two more to go. A gritty performance, more so than a spectacular one against the Italians? Yeah, it was. I think um, Italy were superb for large parts of the game. But 
like Ruby, everybody just looks at the scoreline, and everybody looked at the scoreline at halftime, and then everybody dwells on that. You know, they were, they were within um, was it three or four points of us with twenty minutes, twenty five minutes to go, and then. You know, when I'm speaking to people, I say, okay, well, we dropped three balls over the line and we gave them an intercept. Like, you knock the conversions over as 28 points. And I think we played a lot better than maybe people are giving us credit for. Um, and it's maybe just those, Andy Farrell, just the execution, you know, that getting the ball over the line, James Lowe, you know, being able to dot those couple down, um, Bundyaki, being able to control the ball uh, in both hands and, and reach over and get a, a, another try and then just to... Obviously, a no-look pass, which was really well read by by Bruno to, to go onto the stick. So, just small things that they need to brush up on. But you know, there seems to be a bit of cold water been poured on the Irish fire, like just after that performance. And and I, I I'm maybe thinking the other way. I think Ireland played a lot better than people are giving credit for. Was there not one glaring, look glaring obvious to me, maybe it wasn't, but I thought having two first centres and no second centre when Gary Ringrose went down was a cause of a lot of the problems. And Ruby, you asked this question yeah. last week. I did ask yeah. this question last week, and Bernard Jackman told me it'd be fine. It didn't look fine to me. Shows <laughs> <laughs> so you much Bernard knows. <laughs> Typical forward, wouldn't know what happens behind the scrum. Yeah, well, it's funny the way they actually set up and the way that a couple of those line breaks happened, Ruby, and it was with uh, Canone, the number eight, who was keeping a lot of width, and that's something that the Italians have done very well, not just in the Ireland game, but throughout the whole competition, is keep a huge amount of width on their game. And you just seen that Bundy maybe got a, a little bit tight with, with him and Stuart just getting set, uh, sat down on a, a few of the dummy runners. But I give it, like, it was quality, quality attack. Like, it was brilliantly executed, unbelievable lines of running, you know, straight off the training park, and um, everybody knew what they were at. And, you know, they cut Ireland open a, a few times. And would Gary, if Gary Ringrose had he been there, would he made a bit of a difference? I think so, just because he he has that ability to, to read the game a little bit better in that in, in that channel. And he's maybe a little bit quicker off the mark as well um, to get out and, and cover people's backsides. So, yeah, um, uh, again, I would just give a bit more credit to uh, where it's due there with Italy. Did anybody put their hand up for the Scotland game? Um, I think we, I would look at it the other way, Marie, and say, you know, who out of the team would you leave out for the for the next game? And I was I couldn't wait for Jack Conan to. You know, I thought it would have been the type of game for him to really relish and, and, and be heavily involved in. And he he didn't stand out. I think when he went off and Keelan Doris came on, or sorry, Keelan Doris went to number eight, it almost felt like they found their rhythm again a bit more. Um, so I think he might find himself back on the bench uh, again. Um, I thought Stuart McCluskey played really well. I thought Bundyaki looked a bit tired in the first half, but then just got us probably got a second win for the for the second half. So if uh, Gary Ringrose is fit, it'll be interesting to see what the partnership is for Scotland. Uh, and I thought Ross Byrne was tremendous. I really did. I, I thought, you know, if, if Johnny can't make it, there's no qualms whatsoever for me to to, to get him straight in there and, and, and keep Ireland going. So, yeah, and, and obviously with the injury to Finlay Beelham, there's chat going around that, you know, Tag Furlong's going to be fit and ready, ready and available, but he's played hardly any rugby this season. So we'll, we'll wait and see what the fully fit strength team's going to be at the start of next week and then, you know, assess things from there. I was looking at the squad announcement today or the training squad anyway for the upcoming week looking ahead to the Scotland game and Johnny Sexton was back in it, Gary Ringrose, Jemison Gibson-Park, Robbie Henshaw, Ty Furlong. There is a small possibility, Stephen, that four games into the Six Nations we could have 14 of the 15 that would be the starting team with the exception of Ty Byrne. That's good going. That is good going. Uh, that would be the ideal scenario, wouldn't it? Like when oh, going yeah. against Scotland, who you know, had their wings clipped a little bit over over in Paris um, um, against a half decent French side. So, yeah, it's it's the the way the competition has worked out. It's going to be exactly the same for a rugby World Cup. There's going to be injuries. There's going to be boys that maybe lose a bit of form. Um, we're going to be you know challenged left, right, and centre. But Ruby had a, a good chat with Paul O'Connell outside the team hotel over in um, over in Rome. And we're just having a bit of banter and a bit of crack and just asked him a, a few things about the team. And the first thing he said to me, Ruby, was, Stevie, it's easy when you're winning. And that's what they got to keep doing. they got to keep on winning. they got to keep riding this wave. Everybody's behind them. Confidence is high. Um, emotions are high. It's it's absolutely brilliant. And they're playing a, a brilliant brand of rugby that's um, you know, tremendous to watch. So 
know, give me a one-point victory against Scotland and, and grind it out any day of the week. That'd be some crack then, wouldn't it? Showdown in the Aviva against England on the back foot. Look forward oh, to that we're one, getting ahead of ourselves, Ruby. Stop it. <laughs> you have to dream, Stephen. You have to dream. Paul O'Connell sounds like he's dreaming. It's easy when you're winning. Yeah, no, and uh, and that's what's going to happen over the next you know number of months. And then when you get to you know World Cup or you maybe get a, a bit of a shock in your group stage, and um, you just got to keep on, keep on going, and keep on winning. And um, you know it's a happy camp uh, just to even you know change the sport. Look at the way Manchester United have t- turned things around. Just keep the victories going, and maybe the performances aren't at the level that you would expect week in and week out, or maybe the performance wasn't at the level that Andy Farrell expected against Italy, but they still won by a 14-point margin and still created huge opportunities. And if they continue to do that for, for the rest of the championship, then I, I can't see anything else but a grand slam. And, and why shouldn't we be talking about it? You know, why? we Scotland haven't beat us for a long, long time um, over there. So, uh, you know, let's go over, give it a crack, and then hopefully there's a big showdown come the 18th of March. I like the way you're talking now, Stephen, so we're going to leave it on that note. Thanks a for taking our call. We'll be back after a quick break. Game on on 2FM. Now, it was a very busy weekend in the Gaelic football world. Peter Canavan joins us to talk us through all the action. And Peter, unfortunately, there was only one place to start, and that's with Tyrone conceding 4-10 and only scoring 12 points against Mayo. Do you have any answers? Funny thing, you're going to start there, Marie. <laughs> well, she's had the knife sharp, the knife sharp, the knife sharp, sharp all evening, really. Peter. She's had the knife sharp all evening. See, when you're counting, uh, we can score. start in Division Four if you want to work your way up. Uh, <laughs> well, now, least, Peter, at least we're having problems. At least we're having problems in Division Four. You may as well be want to clear then in Division Two. Nearly beating the Dubs, we're not quite getting it. Getting and jump over straight, the line. and jump straight over Kildare while we're at it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're just talking um, about Manchester United for keep Ruby happy. Uh, Marie, I, I thought that that throne would have delivered a good performance to, to be honest because they have in previous years it's it's a ground they seem to rally performing in and after 10 or 15 minutes I was sitting with my face thinking yep they're they're going to produce a good one here they were moving the ball fast they looked as if they really wanted to attack really wanted to hurt Mayo when they were they were leading 4-1 with an opportunity to go 5-1 ahead and we went for um, a goal of fist pass it was Petey Hart actually tried to fist it and for a goal uh, opportunity they intercepted it went down the field kicked it over the bar and actually attacked to get a goal and from there on it it, it was one way traffic it was uh, very disappointing from a throne point of view but you, you had to hold your hands up and say that it's as well as Mayo has played against throne in a long long time and um, again the atmosphere and, and the way the crowd get behind them down there or something else so it's, it's hats off to Mayo Kevin McStay has waited a long time to lead this Mayo team he's having a very positive influence or it would appear like he is anyway Absolutely the the results speak for themselves but not, not even the results um, I think it's a manner in which they're playing and, and performing together Ruby is, is probably really got hopes up again and, and Mayo I would have said at the start of the year what what has Kevin McStay got to do to, to get over the line with, with the, this group of players and there was a couple of areas in particular they need to be more ruthless the amount of big games that they played in recent All-Ireland finals against Throne against Dublin they had scoring opportunities and when it came to the bit they weren't able to take them so they need to be more ruthless in, in front of goals Um. And we've seen that again, Kerry, and we've seen it again, Throne. And I think Tommy Connery came back, uh, came on for, for 10 minutes against Throne. If you've Ryan O'Donoghue, Tommy Connery and Killian O'Connor on the pitch, I think you've a very efficient and a very ruthless inside line. So that, that spells good for me. The other thing that they needed to have moving forward is to have uh, panel depth. And maybe in, in a few recent All-Ireland finals, when uh, going into the close in 10 or 15 minutes, it was Dublin that was, was bringing the big players. Throne, uh, again against Mayo, had a stronger bench in the All-Ireland final. So again, moving forward, I think Kevin has has a, a brave choice of personnel in recent games. Killian came on, Tommy uh, Conroy came off the bench. Uh, Owen McLaughlin hasn't been used yet. So he, he's making inroads and, and doing that as well. So 
they're in they're in rude health, and they're um, the only concern maybe that that some people are saying is have they picked have they picked too early? Mm. Well, you know they're playing great football and all the rest, and we're still eleven weeks to to the round robin, so uh, time will tell. Yeah, it's uh, it's been entertaining anyway. So uh, full credit to them for that. What is Jack O'Connor going to take away from Kerry's performance against Armagh? Do you think, Peter? I think he'll take a lot out of it because the, that's the type of game that uh, until recently Kerry were losing. Um, you had to be impressed with Armagh's physicality, the way they tore into Kerry, uh, they grinded them down, and and they turned the game into an arm wrestle, um, and. That's not really what, what Kerry would have wanted. I would have thought if it had it turned into a more open, expansive game of football, there was only going to be one winner. So Armagh, by and large, I think played the game on their terms. But Kerry didn't buckle under that pressure. Um, they withstood it and they kept going at Armagh. Uh, they, whilst it was difficult to, to break them down, they showed patience and they showed resilience. And I think more than any other game so far in the league, Jack O'Connor will be will be most pleased with with this victory. Are you looking forward to them coming to Tyrone up to Oma next week? Not really, if <laughs> if I'm being honest. Um, Tyrone have to perform to a level they haven't performed at yet. If if they're going to um, get over Kerry, we're sitting at the bottom of the table on two points and. If we don't win this, we'll have to win at least two of our remaining three games, and we'll have Monaghan and Armagh after that. So, Kerry at home will certainly whet the appetite. The the throne support has been very poor in in Galway. It was poor in Castle Bar on Mayo uh, or on on Saturday night. So, I'm, I'm hoping that the crowd and 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 throne the supporters come out in their numbers and and give the team a bit of back in here because it's going to take. Uh, massive performance after they get one over in Kerry You said Monaghan was one of Tyrone's games and Vinnie Corey has got them into gear they halted Ross Cummins gallop at the weekend beating them by three points Davy Burke took one positive from it all the hype was gone from his Ross Common team I thought it was a strange right. positive to take myself Yeah um, the other comment he made was regarding hunger and he, he referred after the match that Monaghan had to win um, whereas maybe his players felt they didn't the the same need and, and hunger maybe that they displayed in the performances and in, in the hide wasn't there on um wasn't there yesterday. So that's <laughs> uh, no matter what game you go out if, if one team shows a better appetite for it, then there's a good chance they're going to win it. Uh, and that was certainly the case with with Monon. They have been um, improving gradually with every game that they played. And they, they they could have won it by more. That that Sean Jones had a brilliant goal chance towards the end of the game. Um, Conor McManus is now coming coming back into the fold. So, yeah, um, it's encouraging signs for one. And they're they're not out. There's a lot of teams. I, I think there's two out of six teams can still be relegated in Division One. There's still a lot to play for. So um, this weekend's games that could turn the whole thing around again. So nobody will, will feel as if they're safe yet and that's what makes these leagues so intriguing. Yeah, every point counts and Donegal will be happy enough getting one against Galway. They finished 1-9 apiece in Letterkenny, although just given the nature of the game, it wasn't wasn't one of the greatest, but still um, from a Donegal perspective, considering where they've been at, a point is a point, Peter. Yeah, um, maybe Donegal supporters will see that, that they needed to win that. But you know, depending on how they get on in their in their next few games, that that could be the point that that keeps them up. Um, anybody that plays Galway will know that they that they that they've been in a game. Matty Tierney's in, in the form of his life, and and Galway's coming at them at the strength of the breeze in the second half, and it looked, by all intents and purposes, that there's, there was only going to be one winner. So Donegal have been you know on the receiving end of a fair bit of criticism about their spirit and character this this National League and uh, the hung in the, you had to admire their, their fight up in Letterkenny so yeah you're, you're quite right Marie that, that could be a valuable point for, for Donegal moving forward or will they look at the 13 wides and think that was another point dropped yeah wides and that, that doesn't include the amount in the second half I think there was 4 or 5 
real good shooting opportunities that fell into into the goalkeeper's hands. So yeah, when they when they reflect on that, Paddy Carr will be will be very disappointed. But um, Galway got themselves in a good position. Um, it would have been easy maybe uh, to to throw in the towel. So uh, no, I, I would say you know, going into the last ten or fifteen minutes, if you had told Paddy Carr that you had a point out of this, uh, I think he would have took it. So uh, no, they'll be happy enough. They'll be happy enough uh, that they're not sitting bottom of the table. They're in three points. And they've a couple of games coming up maybe that they think they'll be that they'll they'll be capable of winning. So um it's not all uh, doom and gloom for, for Donegal. Peter, even though we usually focus on Division One, um Division Two this weekend was so intriguing from Clare's performance against Dublin to <coughs> lack of performance from Kildare against um Derry and it's really hard to actually make sense of what's happening in Kildare and, and why they're not performing in this league. Do you have any insight? I've I have no idea, um, Marie, how how that can happen. To be honest, because I, I reflect back and I said at the start of this national league, they were one of the most unlucky unluckiest teams in Division One last year because against every team that they played, Kildare played good football, and the games that they lost, they lost by the narrowest of margins, and it, it was a bit of luck here and there that didn't you know get them to stay in Division One, so. You're thinking uh, they're the team that's going to put it up to Dublin and Derry in this uh, Division Two. Everybody fancied Derry and Dublin at the start, but you'd have thought that that Kildare uh, were very well equipped physically and after the experience of, of last year and um, with Glenn coming in that they were they were heading in the right direction. But to witness that performance yesterday, I got to see um, the game and it was it was over after 20 minutes. And, and that's very hard to explain. Are they going through a very tough uh, training regime at the minute? Maybe they are. Maybe that explains why they're they're so heavy legged. I I don't know. But um, Glenn Ryan and his players will have a serious bit of soul searching to do because that's not what you would expect from Kildare and Newbridge playing in Newbridge. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the manner of that defeat will certainly hurt him and his and his management. Yeah, I think uh, they'll be heading for um, a relegation dogfight as well if they don't start picking up a few points. Uh, Peter Canavan, thank you so much for joining us. And we're going to take a very quick break. But do stay with us. We've hurling with Niall Moran to come. Game on. Hurling. Welcome back. It's time now to turn our attention to hurling. And I'm delighted to say that Niall Moran joins us on the line. Niall, just let's start with Limerick and their performance. Um, They saw off a a Galway team that didn't really look like uh, they were going to to catch them. But just overall, where do you think Limerick are at? Um, uh, A a decent performance again, Marie. Um, They looked in control for huge periods of the game. Um, So it's maybe down near the end. Um, last 10 minutes probably the atmosphere rose a little bit mm-hmm. but look they were very clinical in what they did I suppose for Galway they'll probably take an awful lot of learning in the sense that I, th- I thought they should have them for the first 15-20 minutes um, I thought they were a little bit conscious about what was going to happen in the full forward line and it allowed Limerick to platform uh, back to pitch to try and score from distance which they did through Kyle probably got three points in the first half so I, I do think that uh, Henry Sefton will have learned an awful lot and I, I do think when he bolts through his team at half time they're a lot more solid so Look, it was a game probably devoid of atmosphere. I think like a lot of the games over the weekend, it was kind of devoid of atmosphere. But again, there is learning for, for Galway and how they performed after the minute 20. Are there learnings for Limerick as well, just from a disciplinary point of view? Because you have to look at Kyle Hayes and, and think, are they sailing a bit close to the wind? Uh, and I fairly well thought that was going to be the conversation, Marie, to be honest. Uh, I, I say with five minutes left, we kind of ran out of salt hills. It's the greatest bottleneck uh, of all time to get in and out of for a match. Um, so actually, in real time, I actually missed the instant and only having seen it back. But... Look again, it's um, it's, it's something that's come up again, and I suppose media and so the opposition counties are quick to quick to latch onto. But so in my mind, look, yeah, he did strike out, but I suppose for every for every action, there's a reaction, and in my mind, that was a reaction because something that just happened. And again, look, we've all been there; nobody's holier than thou. So yeah, they could have taken action, and it's something that John had to watch. And maybe if a sending off had occurred, it could have cast Limerick, but. To be honest, in the scale and nature of the game, wasn't anyway like that. And as I said, I kind of felt that it was a reaction to something that kind of little belt that had come. He was blindsided. So, um, yeah, look, it's something that John again would have to harp on to. But like in general, they were very, very clean. Like, 
You're getting better than Arsene Wenger, you know that? I was thinking the same thing. It's exactly you, what you Arsene Wenger said. Yeah, unbelievable. You're getting like, whatever it is, we're, we look, we're not going to get off the fence here now. Your reaction yeah, to it. Every consequence has a reaction. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he's English would probably be a bit better than mine now, Ruby, to be honest. But look, again, it's like, like every sports person will tell you, you have to play on the edge. Okay? And if you don't play on the edge, you're at nothing. And look, like Jodie and Galway weren't, like there was an incident with Keane Lynch in her house, but again, like the, there's nobody latching on to that because I suppose Limerick are, do you know what I mean? The, the, kind of mar- the, the marker is on Limerick and everyone is keen on harping on some. And if history, if memory serves me right, I, I thought it used to be the same with Kenny when they had 3 or 4 or 1. So look, I suppose that's one of the privileges, you call it, that, that comes with being successful. I've no issue with anybody playing close to the edge because that's what people do. But still think when you get caught, there's only one thing you can do and that's put your two hands up. Simple yeah, I'm sure they, they, they did, Ruby. But I suppose look, there was bigger, there was bigger games at the weekend. So I suppose, like, I suppose some of the, the suppose the performance of Clare is the one that really grabbed people's eyes. And I know I was here two weeks ago. Marie was quickly kind of lamenting the death and the demise of Clare earlier, but I was quick to interlude Marie. And I think I was kind of proving some bit right in the sense that I just thought Clare gave nothing against Limerick a couple of weeks ago, and I thought they came full circle yesterday. But I suppose. The, the beauty of it for Clare was they probably came up against the Wexford team that were just totally devoid and, and that was probably the most worrying um, most worried man after the weekend was probably Dara um, do you know what I mean to take to ship that kind of beating it doesn't all go well like there's days when you get beaten by 5 or 6 or 7 or 8 you might be off or you might have injuries but to cough up 4 17 and a half for hurling like it's, it's not good for the morale of a team or a county and, and there was a big crowd below Wexford there yesterday and I'm sure that kind of you know, that probably sucked the life out of a lot of them too I like what you did there now. You lured me in with the Claire talk to try and distract me from the the um, possible uh, discipline issues in Limerick. But I'm going to take the bait because they did score six goals and they were impressive and we had spoken quite a lot about where we think they're at. Um, but you did mention Darry Egan there and you know he spoke after the game about the lack of depth in, in the squad. And at this stage, really, Niall, is there anything you can do about that? If you just don't have the players, you don't have the bodies to step in um, when key personnel are missing, then like, what can he do? Look, I, I get where Dara's frustration would be. Of course, like you're, you're pouring your life into it, and he has probably done for the last eighteen months. You're making a probably a, a six-hour round trip, maybe three, four, five times a week, and then you rock on and you take a hammering like that. But I, just one thing, okay, with intercounty players and I suppose elite sports, and, and anybody who testifies to it was fortunate enough to play in elite sport, is that athletes and players are kind of it's a hypersensitive environment. Okay, and like there's there's things you say and things you do, and like you have to be very very careful in how you manage a group. Yes, you have to be firm, but you need the support and the backing of your group. And just one thing coming down the car from Galway yesterday, I know like three times uh, that Dara referenced the personnel and maybe that's kind of kind of half alluded to some of the personnel playing yesterday wants the action again. And mm. look, you have to be very very careful. Like it's a hypersensitive environment. There's danger there that like some of the guys there. They'll take that the wrong way, and I know you can't be molly coddling guys, but you just have to be a little bit calm. Like there's days when it you go like that. I suppose a lesson maybe from maybe Claire taking the beat in a couple of weeks ago. They didn't throw the you know, the baby out with the bat water. They stayed calm. They stayed patient, and it comes around again. But you, you just so look. I think he'll probably have to address that with the lads. I'm sure they'll sit down tonight. Um, I know there's five or six of the stronger lads trained fully yesterday, and it probably begs the question: maybe would have been held in reserve with the April 22nd in mind but that playing the long game like that can be dangerous sometimes as well because lads need to get a little bit of form behind them so as I said it's just to take a beating like that below Wexford is is kind of a hard one for them and the second half against Galway were quite poor as well so look, he just has to maybe keep calm and, and hope that when they do get the lads back that there'll be a different opposition well, Everyone has different styles of, of managing and different styles of dealing with crises or not even a crisis it's only one game but Dara's language, do you think he's just going the reality line? Truth always hurts. Yeah, but yeah, I suppose, look, again, the truth always hurts and maybe sometimes those messages might be need to be delivered privately too. I suppose the era that we're in, we're a kind of snowflake generation and everybody is looking for what's the... This, what's this we think? Yeah, well, we, we are all part of unfortunately, it's the era we live in and you know, kickbait is a huge thing here now and, and once you say something like that, there's people making a living off kind of generating headlines out of it and like at the end of the day that group below Wexford they've worked extremely hard together no doubt over the last 18 months they've huge respect for each other 
And I'm sure that if Dara was asked an hour later, I'm sure he's he he might have echoed different words with kind of the next week in mind. So as I said to you, look, it's something where you just have to maybe clear the air, keep working hard. And it's like every sports person, when you're in a rush and you start trying harder, sometimes the holes can get deeper. And do you know what I mean? It just it, it comes around eventually, though. And that's the one thing about sport: if you can kind of keep a cool head. Just kind of like the wheel always turns. But if you, throw, like, you know what I mean? If you do something dramatic, or, there is always that danger that the thing can fall apart. And do you know what I mean? Look, we've been privy to it ourselves here over the years. You, you just have to keep calm. Yeah, and it is only February, so there's lots of hurling to be done yet before the season's over. Um, just have a let's have a quick chat about Waterford. They they didn't um, have it all their own way against Antrim. Is that down to Antrim's performance or Waterford's at all? So I was just looking through the, the Waterford team. Do you know what I mean? There is a lot of new. There is still a good share of new names. Like there's a lot of big players still missing there. Like no, Austin is missing there. Um, do you know what I mean? Like so, so like they still have a little bit to do. I, I'm kind of getting the picture that Davy might. Be, kind of taking a different approach at Waterford in the sense that maybe last year they ran out of steam I think this year maybe that they're timing it a little bit later whereas most other teams in the league seem to be going the opposite trying to get ahead of steam up a little bit earlier but I think Davey by all accounts there is some I know now it's cliche but there is very very hard training taking place in Waterford and even some of the guys that played this given there last week I think they're joining me and they'd said this, they'd been through a heavy block of training so I don't, I wouldn't be that worried for them at the end of the day they're still winning these they're kind of getting results in a lot of these games and you know, what you might find here now is after this two week break we're now into the middle of March and this is where some teams now start to push the button because Marie April 22nd is coming very close so like that's do you know what I mean? After the next round, you're, you're five weeks out from championships. So I think the big guns are going to be rolled out. And the next two rounds of the league will be interesting. Speaking of a head of steam, Tipperary are still continuing on, a, on an upward curve anyway. Uh, two twenty-three to 24-point winners over Dublin. I, honestly, I, I do think they're the team so far will be happiest in the league. And again, like what you've probably discovered, Liam Cahill probably has 30 guys used. Um, like you got Brian Amara back from Fitzgibbon he went in full back for Mikey Breen who was doing very well full back as well so he's bolstering his options um, do you know what I mean again there's a lot of new players kind of getting getting their head of steam Garota Connor I quoted him here before he played yesterday he's, or played on Saturday he's another key player but I suppose look they only hit nine wides and so Dublin were probably very wasteful especially in the first half they hit nine wides there as well so um do you know what I mean? I suppose a win is a win. Look for Dublin. You can't leave the weekend going without talking about Donald Burke. Like, do you know what I mean? The nature of some of his scores yesterday was just incredible on Saturday. Like eight, eight points in play in any game is incredible. And I suppose the one thing he's probably the, the epitome of the new style forward who just finds himself in these kind of uh, deadly positions and is just, he's like William Tell there shooting the ball over the bar, like, you know. Lethal, Niall, is a good word, probably. Uh, thanks, Niall, for joining us. Um, we're out of time, I'm afraid, but uh, appreciate all of that. Got through a lot and lots more to look forward to. Game on. Hurley. Yes, and we are out of time on the show as well. We'll be back tomorrow going through all of the uh, sports news of the day. For us, though, that's it. Better De Silva's up next.